Good morning, good morning. It's great to see each of you uh, at our new worship time at 1030. We are glad that you chose to come and worship with us here in the building, or if you're worshiping online with us, that is great as well. We'd love to invite you to come and worship in the building with us whenever you have a chance. If I've not had a chance yet, uh, chance yet to meet you, I'm Alan Pittman. I'm the senior pastor here, as well as one of our elders. And um, if you and I have not had a chance to meet, I would love that opportunity. And so after the service, I'll actually be out in the entryway, and I'd love for you to swing by and say howdy to me. Um, and that way we can get to know each other. Another way we can get to know each other is by using that connection card that we uh, talked about in the video. If you have a moment, you can fill that out, drop that in the offering plate when it's passed, and uh, we can get you more information about the church. Um, so a moment ago, Howard reminded us that the church is more than a building, right? Uh, next Sunday, hopefully when you came in, you got a worship guide. And on the front side of the worship guide, at the very top, it describes the fact that we are celebrating 25 years of, that's right, 25 years of, of ministry in and through the, 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 the life and work of living hope through the Holy Spirit working in us. And so we are going to celebrate next Sunday and actually kind of moving forward into the rest of the fall as well. And you can help us a couple of ways. You can be here next Sunday. Next Sunday morning, we'll uh, be acknowledging and celebrating the 25th year, but we'll really be celebrating at the 5 o'clock potluck dinner next Sunday night. So I would invite you to come be a part of that. We have not sent out formal invitations to anyone. Rather, we're using word of mouth. So if you know some folks that have been a part of Living Hope in the past and you'd like to invite them to come back to be a part of that meal, be sure and do so. If you come to the uh, service, we'd, we'd ask you to bring uh, something to serve your family as well as a little extra to share with other people as well so we have enough food to go around and then we'll be uh, kind of having a good time and we'll watch a video and hear some testimonies of what God has done through the years and um, and then maybe have a little uh, laughter and prayer time as well so one way you can also help us out with this is by going to our website and clicking on the 25 year link and there's a little survey it's a three question survey and and I would love to hear from all of you we want to utilize some of this next week and in the weeks to come three questions and it's all written on the survey and that is what about the past of living hope do you remember some of us our past goes back 20 plus years and others of us it goes back 20 days or whatever and then the second question is what about the present are you rejoicing in and what about the future has you hopeful I would love to hear from you just fill that out if you have any trouble with it or have questions about it you can send us an email instead or you can contact the office this week and we'll kind of help you with that as well one other thing I wanted to let you know about and that is starting not this Wednesday but next Wednesday which I believe is the 14th let me check my notes yes the 14th we're gonna be having a weekly prayer gathering it'll happen at 7 a.m. I know some of you can't make it at 7 a.m. maybe some of you can swing in for 15 20 minutes and pray with us and then head out or maybe you can come every other week or whatever but we're gonna start that this coming Wednesday a week and a half from now it'll be in the fellowship room on Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m. would love for you to come and be a part of that all right let's go ahead and grab our Bibles if you've got one um, if you don't have one you should be able to have a Bible near you and a chair near you and uh, we're gonna turn to the book of Acts uh, on the back of the, the worship guides, the sermon notes, you can follow along with us as we move through the passage. We are, as a church family, walking through the book of Acts together. We are now in Acts chapter 8, uh, at the end of it, beginning in verse 26. And so you can go ahead and turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 8, and as you do that, here's a question I have for us. And that is, who of us 
does not want to be used by God? That's a rhetorical question. You don't have to raise your hand, but who of us does not want to be used by God? I trust and hope that if you're a follower of Jesus, like you would, would say, I want to be used by God. So the question is, if we want to be used by God, then are there certain things about our posture and our interaction with God that improves the opportunity, if you will, of us being used by God? You don't have to be a pastor to be used by God. You don't have to be an elder to be used by God. You don't have to be a deacon. You don't have to be a hope group leader. You don't have to be a ministry leader. You don't have to be in any leadership role or capacity to be used by God. All we need is to be following the Holy Spirit in our lives, knowing his word, and stepping out in obedience. And so that's what we're looking at this morning, that regardless of where you find yourself in life today, whether you think this is a good moment or a very discouraging and depressed moment, that you are used and can be used by God if you'll follow his lead. So we're going to look at the story of Philip. We're going to continue his story, and we're going to see that we can be used by God by doing this. And it's on your notes there at the top. It says, being led by the Spirit and knowing the Word enables us to be used by God. Again, it is being led by the Spirit and knowing the Word, that's what enables us to be used by God. And as we walk through this story of Philip, I want you to remember this thought. Where is it that we see Philip interacting by following the Spirit, by acknowledging and, and exhibiting the fact that he knows the Word of God, and then how is he used by God through the process? So let's look at Acts chapter 8 beginning in verse 26, and we will pick up the story of Philip where we left it off last week. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip was before this in Samaria, preaching to large groups of people, spending time with lots of people, and all of a sudden, in verse 26, says the angel of the Lord told him, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then just so that Philip is reminded, he is acknowledged that this is in the middle of nowhere. It says, this is a desert place. And so what did Philip do? It says he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, who was queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge, he was, the Ethiopian eunuch, in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning back home. He was seated in his chariot, and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And here's what the Spirit said to Philip in verse 29. Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran up to him, and he heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. And here's what Philip asked him. Do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how can I? unless someone guides me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. In 32, now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, and he, it quotes from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. And here's what it says. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? for his life is taken away from the earth. And so then the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is he saying this about himself or about someone else? And so Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and here's what the eunuch said, see, here's water, what prevents me 
from being baptized. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and the eunuch went away, or went on his way, I should say, rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So I want us to begin by looking at a map. We're going to kind of see what the geography is of what's taking place here, and then we're going to look at each of the characters in the story. So here we are. We see that Jerusalem is right down here. It's kind of the starting point. That's where uh, the church began. And then we see where Philip went last week in the verses prior to this. He went up to Samaria, which is this region. You see the dotted lines that divide it. And then down here is Judea, which is kind of a homeland for them. And they usually avoided Samaria, but he had gone up there uh, previously in chapter 8 and was preaching and teaching. After that happened, we see that he heads back towards Jerusalem, and then the angel says, I need you to go to the desert road somewhere between Jerusalem and Gaza. We don't know exactly where he was, but he was somewhere in there. You see this the southern edge of Judea, and here's the desert area, and I've been there before. It's very, very deserty and dry. So he gets down here, and somewhere along the way is where he runs into the, the eunuch. And we read the main account of the, the eunuch, and then we see this arrow saying to Egypt and Ethiopia, which we'll talk in a moment about where Ethiopia is. What you don't need to do is Google Ethiopia, because Ethiopia in the New Testament was a little bit different location than it is now. Like, the world didn't move, but what we refer to as Ethiopia has changed. And then after he finishes with the, uh, with the eunuch, it says that he went up to Azotus, and then he went from there and went all the way to Caesarea, and was preaching the gospel everywhere. So you see, basically, he covers all of the east, uh, sorry, west coast of all of Judea and all of Samaria, and then a big section here. So basically, what Philip is doing is he is preaching the gospel in Judea and Samaria, and because he preaches to the eunuch who goes south over a thousand miles, he's actually preaching it to the end of the earth as well. And so we see that Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is fulfilled. So I want us to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8 real quick, and then we'll go back to chapter 8. It says here, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And what I want us to see is that this command was not given just to the apostles. This command was not just given to elders or missionaries or pastors. It was given to all of us. All of us who claim the name of Jesus are called by God and sent out by God to be his witnesses everywhere we go. And so in Acts chapter 8, we see chapter 1 verse 8 being fulfilled as as the gospel is going throughout all of Judea and all of Samaria and then ending up in a place like Ethiopia because of his interaction with the eunuch that day. So I want us to talk just for a few moments about the characters that we find in this story. So we have the Ethiopian eunuch and you'll notice that it mentions Ethiopia once and then every other time it mentions this man, it calls him a eunuch. If you know what, you, what a eunuch is, that's like not the best title. Like I'd be preferred to be called something besides that, but a eunuch would be a man that's been castrated. And, and in that society, oftentimes the men who would work with uh, around the queens or would 
work around the money or work in the palace of some sort in different na nations, they would make them a eunuch, and then they felt like they could trust them more along the way. And so, so the Ethiopian eunuch was a, a, a eunuch who was serving in the, the court of Candace. Candace is not her name. Candace is a title, just like Pharaoh was not a name, but it was a title. And, and so she would be the queen of Ethiopia. He had great influence uh, in that country. If you know much about Ethiopia, you know, I don't have a map on the screen, but you know that there's Egypt and then uh, Sudan and then kind of to the southeast of Sudan is, is Ethiopia, modern day. But in that time period, that's not where Ethiopia was. Ethiopia was more along southern uh, Egypt and uh, the northern area of Sudan. And so still, it's over 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem. This man had journeyed that distance because he said that he wanted to worship God. But here's the interesting thing. This man was considered an outsider in the Old Testament. He was a eunuch, which made him an outsider. They would not be allowed into the court uh, of, uh, beyond the, the court of the Gentiles. He was also an Ethiopian, so that wouldn't get him very far either. And so he was viewed as an outsider, and yet he had this desire to know God, and so he'd gone up there to worship God. And then we have Philip. Philip is one of the seven uh, deacons, the original deacons that we find in Acts chapter 6. We've read that story several times. And so Philip is, is being used by God to share the gospel, and he was doing it in Samaria to large crowds, and for the reason, uh, for a reason that we might understand, not understand right away, God picks him up and says, you know what, it's time for you to stop preaching to the masses, and I have an, a divine appointment for you to go and speak to this one man. And so he goes to the middle of nowhere and preaches to the eunuch. So, you see at the beginning of the sermon notes, the title of the message is Moved to Be on Mission. God literally moved Philip from where he was down to the desert to preach the gospel. And then later in the passage, it says that God picked him up, basically, and carried him away to somewhere else. And so he is literally moving all over the place to preach the gospel. But more specifically, spiritually speaking, this man of God is moved by the Spirit of God. He's stirred by the Spirit of God. He's compelled by the Spirit of God to live his life on mission. And so what I'm calling all of us to do is to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives in such a way that we will be propelled naturally to go out into our world to be living on mission to share the gospel with everyone we come in contact with. I'm not asking, will you become a pastor? Although some of you, perhaps God's calling to be a pastor. I'm not asking you to be a missionary that moves to another country, although God might be calling some of you to do that. I'm calling us as followers of Jesus, wherever life takes us, as we journey about our days, as we go through life, that we look for opportunities to point others to Jesus. So if we want to live a life on mission, how do we do that? Let's look at the points that we have. The first one is this, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit to live a life on mission. So what does that look like? With Philip, we, as soon as we are introduced to him in, in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, we see that he is full of the Holy Spirit. And then in this passage that we read in chapter 8, I want to hit three quick places where the Spirit leads him, and it's clear. In verse 26, it says, the angel of the Lord gave him some instructions and says, it's time for you to go down to this desert place. 
And then when he gets down there, it says in verse 29 that the Holy Spirit told him to go join the chariot. So it's clear that the Holy Spirit is leading him. And then when we go on to verse 39, we see that the Holy Spirit carried him away from where he was so that he could begin to preach the gospel in another area. It's very clear, very specific that the Holy Spirit was leading him and he was following the Holy Spirit. But beyond the obvious ones, we see some implicit situations where we can understand that he was going the direction the Spirit was leading him. Look in verse 27. In verse 27, it describes that, that Philip is now on this deserted area, and then it says that there was an Ethiopian there. It says there was an Ethiopian there. In the English, it doesn't sound all that dramatic, all right? There was an Ethiopian. But if you look at the Greek, the Greek actually has kind of this idea of behold. Like, lo and behold, would, who would have guessed it? He's in the middle of nowhere, and there's a man over there. In other words, it was not happenstance that Philip ends up in the middle of nowhere, and there happened to be an Ethiopian there. Rather, the Holy Spirit directed that to take place. So he was being led by the Spirit. And then we see that... that um, that uh, in, in Isaiah chapter, sorry, in, in uh, chapter 8, where the Ethiopian is reading from the scripture, we see in verses uh, 32 and 33, he's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, if you know much about it, is a very well-known passage that deals with and talks about the Messiah. It wasn't just happenstance that Philip ran into the Ethiopian eunuch. It wasn't just happenstance that the man happened to be reading about the Messiah. The Spirit orchestrated that, so we see that he is led by the Holy Spirit. And then the eunuch asked Philip to come up and guide him to understand the passage. That's the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then ultimately we see the Holy Spirit at work because the eunuch trusts in Jesus for salvation and then asks Philip to baptize him. It's very clear from start to finish and all the way through with exact words and reading between the lines, which isn't really reading between the lines, but understanding the passage that the Holy Spirit was guiding Philip in this moment. So I said that the eunuch came to faith. What do I mean that the eunuch came to faith? Like what message did Philip preach to the eunuch? We don't have it written here. We don't know exactly what he said. All we know is that it said it started from Isaiah 53, and he preached the gospel, and that this man came to faith. What does it mean to come to faith? It basically means this, that God created all of us to be in right relationship with him, that he made us to be in community with him. He desires for us to know him and, and to be in, in, in relationship with him. He made us to exhibit his glory throughout the, the, the world, but our lives go a path that are contrary to what God wants us to do, and we have sin in our life. Every single one of us, regardless of how good we think we are, 100% of us are, by our very nature, sinners. And because of our sin nature, we cannot have anything to do with a holy, perfect God because we are so far from perfection. And so God, he designed a way that we could be made right with him. And actually the passage of scripture that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53 is pointing to God's solution. In Isaiah 53, we see a description of a coming Messiah, a coming Savior, a coming Lord, the one who would bring salvation. 
and his name is Jesus. We sang earlier what a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus is a wonderful name, not because it sounds good off of our tongue, but rather because of who he is, the Son of God who took on flesh, God in the flesh, God-man who lived a perfect life and yet was without sin. He was tempted in every way we are, yet was without sin. And that he deserved no death, and yet he died willingly, sacrificially on the cross for our sins. So this morning, perhaps God has you for a specific purpose in this room. Like, you're not here just because your wife made you come, or because your kids drug you here, or because a friend invited you. You're here to hear that the only hope that we have in this world is the name of Jesus, that we are sinners, and without trusting in him to save us from our sins, we are destined to an eternity separated from God. And so maybe this morning, you want to say yes to your Lord and Savior, turning from your sin and trusting in him for salvation. Maybe just like the eunuch, had we had water standing here for a baptistry like we did last week, you would say, here's water, what prevents me from being baptized? Would you say yes to Jesus this morning? And those of us that are followers of Jesus would be be led by the Holy Spirit to be used in such a way as Philip is used on that day. It is very clear that it was not by happenstance that God sent him there. It wasn't by happenstance that he's standing in the middle of nowhere. Oh, look, there's a eunuch. Like, no, like God orchestrated it all. He is sovereign. He is in charge. I don't know where you are in your life right now. You may feel like your life is worthless and pointless and you're not sure why you're here. I know this one thing. All of us are here to bring glory to God. And all of us are here to be in right relationship with him. And whenever we see that and we're led by his Holy Spirit, then we can see how God can use us in incredible ways. You don't have to be loud. You don't have to be an extrovert. You don't have to be a a, a biblical scholar to be able to exude the, the glory of God to those around you. So here we are. There's no happenstances. There's no circumstances. It it happened by divine appointment that Philip was to live out his life on mission for God and God orchestrated the plan. But you know what the problem is? All too often we as humans like to plan things out ourselves. We like to orchestrate things. Back in the day, back in the 80s, whenever you got ready to go to college, You didn't, like, do emails. You, like, sent a letter, and you waited for a letter to come in the mail. Like, it was this weird thing. I don't know if you've seen the mailbox or not. But so whenever I got accepted to the college I was going to, Howard Payne University, which is a Baptist school out in the middle of Texas, central Texas, I I get the catalog. I don't know that they even print these bad boys anymore, but they're a catalog, and you could open it up, and you could see when classes are offered. Well, it was a school of, like, 1,500 people or so, and so they couldn't offer courses every semester. So I knew, hey, it's going to be offered in the fall, the spring, the even year, the odd year. I kid you not, I'm a senior in high school. I didn't need an academic advisor. I already knew freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior year what classes I was taking. I was set. I was ready to go. I planned it out because I'm a planner, and I like to be in charge and in control. And all too often in our lives, we act that way with the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't need you, Holy Spirit. Like, you don't need to tell me what to do. I know what I'm supposed to do, and I make my plans. Guys, if we're making our plans, God can and will still choose to use us. But I believe that if we're making our plans and not trusting him to lead us, then we're missing out on many opportunities of these divine appointments. 
So let's stop planning our lives. Don't, don't get me wrong. I do want you to financially plan. I do want you to be responsible. I do want you to save some money and all those things. But let us not become God and try to control our lives. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. My question is this. What is it that's keeping you from these divine appointments? Like Philip is in Samaria preaching the gospel. God says, go down here. He goes down there. There's a divine appointment. He preaches the gospel to the eunuch, and the eunuch gets saved. What is preventing those kinds of divine appointments from happening in your life and in mine? All too often, we're too busy. All too often, we're not pursuing God. All too often, we're too focused on ourselves. Basically, you could say that we're out of tune with the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage all of us to call upon the Holy Spirit today and every day to say, Lord, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you appoint my steps? Would you let me see opportunities? Sometimes those opportunities are teachable moments that you have with somebody. Sometimes those opportunities are with people you already know, but you can speak the truth of the gospel to them. Sometimes it's just putting an arm around somebody and telling them that you love them. The, 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 the possibilities are endless, but we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to direct our steps. So that's the first thing. The first thing is this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The second thing is this, to know the Word of God. It's there on your notes. Know the Word of God. I want us to look at the exchange between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I want us to see the questions that are asked and the responses that are given, and we're going to see that this is an indication of someone who doesn't yet know the Word of God interacting with someone who does know the Word of God. Like, the eunuch appreciates the Word of God, but he doesn't really understand it yet. Philip knows the Word of God, understands it, and is ready to, to relay the correct information to this other person. So I want us to see kind of the interaction that takes place between the two of them. Look at verse 30. Here are the questions that are asked. In verse 30, we see Philip ask this question, Do you understand what you're reading? Here's what we see in Philip. By him asking that question, there's some element of confidence that he knows the Word of God and the Holy Spirit's going to lead him, or else he wouldn't ask the question. Like if you're riding along with somebody and they're reading from the book of Revelation, do you lean over and go, do you understand what you're reading? We're like, no, I don't want to ask that question because I don't even know what it's saying, right? Now, don't get me wrong, we can understand the Scripture because the Holy Spirit leads us, but I'm saying all too often we find ourselves intimidated by the Word of God instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And here is Philip. He knows the Word of God. He says, do you understand what you're reading? Then look at verse 31. The eunuch understands that he doesn't understand the Word of God. He needs someone, and here's what he says. How can I? How can I understand the Word of God unless someone guides me? That's the very reason we don't ask the first question. We don't ask, do you understand what you're reading? Because what are we going to do if they ask us to help them? We need to know the Word of God for our lives and for our opportunity to tell others the Word of God as well. And then look down in verse 34. After they've read a portion of God's Word, here's what the eunuch says to Philip. He says, about whom? Like, about whom does the prophet say this? Is it about him or someone else? And Philip knows the answer. 
He knows the word of God and he says it's pointing to the Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. I know it's not all written there exactly what he says, but we know by the fact that he comes to salvation and gets baptized that this is what goes down. Philip points to the Messiah in all of this. All too often we're intimidated whenever we read the prophets. We were in the office this week, and we were talking about the prophets, and one of uh, the ladies in the office said, I was reading Daniel this week, and we said, okay, that's enough said right there. I said, if you're not in chapters 1, 2, or 3, it can get confusing. And they're like, yeah, I was reading the visions. I don't even know what it was saying. I'm not saying that we as followers of Jesus know everything that there is in the Scripture, but we have to study it to understand it, to understand who he is, so that we don't get intimidated whenever someone asks us a question, and we can say, you know what, I don't know the answer. Like, I'll, let's look at that up together. Like, let's, you don't have to have an answer to everything, but what I am saying is this. We need to know God's word so that we're not intimidated if and when someone asks us a question. Or maybe they don't ask you a question. Maybe it's just the culture that says, oh, the Bible's outdated. It's irrelevant. Like, that's surely not what God meant. Like, I think I can do whatever I want to. And they begin to excuse and justify their behavior by saying that the Bible doesn't say that. My question is, do you know the Bible well enough to be able to say lovingly, no, you're wrong. The Bible does speak to that issue. In our culture, even those who would claim some kind of foundation bedrock of Christianity or Judeo-Christian values, we, if we're not careful, begin to dismiss the truth of God's word and make it say only what we want it to say. If we don't study God's word and know it, then we cannot stand up for the truth of God's word. So we've got to know the word of God. And then look at verse 35. I love verse 35. Verse 35 says, Then... Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told the eunuch the good news about Jesus. In verse 35, we have this beautiful collision. It's the collision of the Holy Spirit leading Philip and him being open to the Holy Spirit using him, and Philip's knowledge and understanding of God's word, and those collide. And in that moment, because he has the foundation of being led by the Spirit and knowing the word of God, he's enabled by God to be used by God. Let's look at the phrases in verse 35. It starts with this. He opened his mouth. It starts there. Like to be used by God does not always use our mouth, but all too often we think to be used by God is a kind action. Don't get me wrong, we can do a kind action and that be used of God. But ultimately, if we want to be used by God to be a witness to the ends of the earth, then we have to open our mouths and proclaim the gospel. So it starts with Philip opening his mouth and using his voice to be fully used by God. And then in verse 35, it says, beginning with this scripture. So in other words, the eunuch was reading a not random, but let's just use that word, a random uh, section of scripture, and Philip was able to walk up and hear the scripture being read, and he knew God's word. He didn't say, you know what, I don't really understand that one. Let's just kind of fast forward. Let's go to something else. He was able to start right there and move forward with the truth of God's word. He used it as a springboard. And then the end of the verse says, it told, he told him the good news about Jesus. He was able to use Isaiah 53, and whatever other passages of the Old Testament he might have walked through, all to point to the Messiah because he knew that the Scripture is the story of Jesus from front to back. 
It's the grand narrative of God's word. We've used this before, the grand narrative of God's word, where we see God created, and then sin entered, which is the fall, and then salvation's available through Jesus, which is redemption, and then ultimately all things will be restored. Speaking of the restoration, I want us to flip over to Isaiah chapter 56. Chapter 56 of Isaiah, verses 3 through 8. And the reason I'm doing that is because we don't know for a fact that Philip and the Ethiopian read this chapter, but it's a possibility that they did. You see, whenever Philip walked up on the Ethiopian eunuch, he's reading from Isaiah 53. Back then, you didn't have a Bible that's bound like this, right? You would have a scroll. So that means he probably didn't have all of the Old Testament with him. He had Isaiah there, and it wouldn't be too far down in the scroll that chapter 56 would show up. And I believe that 56 might have been read, and the reason I say that is because we're dealing with an outsider who's a eunuch and a foreigner, right? He's from Ethiopia. Let's see what Isaiah 56 says about the Messiah who changes everything and restores everything. Isaiah 56, beginning in verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Good news for the eunuch. Sure, he wasn't allowed to go into the inner court of, of, of the temple grounds because he was a foreigner and a eunuch, but the Messiah had come, and the Messiah was making all things right again and restoring all things, and the truth of the matter was that it didn't matter this man was an Ethiopian. It didn't matter that he was a eunuch. He could be in right standing with God through what Jesus had done on his behalf. I don't know where you are today. I don't think we have any, I'm not trying to be funny here, but I don't think we have any eunuchs here, and I don't think we have any Ethiopians here, but perhaps you feel less, oh, there's an Ethiopian right back there, I see that hand. What's that? Oh, a mother? Oh, there we go, that's a, thank you, thank you very much, thank you for correcting me, let me step back, let me, this is a teachable moment, this is a teachable moment, thank you, thank you, I was not making light of what I said, and I don't think these ladies took it that way, but the truth of the matter is we do have kids in our church who happen to be ethnically originally from Ethiopia that are a part of our church family. Thank you for correcting me. Thank you. And teachable moment here. Isn't that how the church should be? We can't force it. Like, we can't go out on the street and go, all right, we need one person from every country to please file into our doors. We can't do that. But we need to be a place that people from all over the world from all tribes and languages and nations are welcome. And I think if you know me well enough, even though I had a little flub up right there, you know it wasn't like the heart because that's my desire. Like I want people, I want, I, I want this place, you look out there and you don't see one solid color at all. 
You see multiple colors and skin tones and languages spoken. That's what we're going to be in heaven, right? With people of all tribes and nations and languages. So yes, exactly, we do. All right, so I don't, if you are a eunuch, you don't have to raise your hand right now. But uh, so we, we do have some Ethiopians here. Uh, thank you so much. But what I am saying is this. Perhaps you feel like an outsider for another reason. Maybe you feel less than. Maybe you feel unimportant. Maybe you're like, I couldn't be used by God. The truth of the matter is this. It doesn't matter where you're from, your past. It doesn't matter a thing about those things. Our past says we are sinners. Our present and future says if we've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we are forgiven and we are welcomed into the people of God. The family of God is the people of God of all nations, of all places. Thank you for, thank you, ladies. I, at first I saw, I thought somebody was being silly, but she wasn't. Like, she caught my attention. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. So what's holding you back from being used by God? Perhaps you're like, oh, I'm, not, um, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a seminary grad. I'm not a college, Bible college graduate. Guess what, guys? Philip wasn't either. He wasn't. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to rabbi school. He, he didn't uh, go to a Bible college. He wasn't an, an apostle. He wasn't an elder. I don't mean it how it sounds. He was just a deacon. That's not intended that way. It, it was ju- he was just a church member. He was just a follower of Jesus, which is the truth of the pastor and the elder and the seminary grad. We're all just the people of God. You don't have to have all of that knowledge of expertise. Be led by the Spirit, know God's Word, and then step out and obey. Perhaps you're like, I, I, I'm like the eunuch. The eunuch says, how can I understand this unless I get a little guidance? Would you come help me? Some of us, if we're not careful, we'll have the attitude, which is a good attitude, the eunuch, for five more years. I can't go share the gospel yet. I need somebody to guide me. Don't get me wrong. We need to be constantly learning and being discipled while also discipling others. You don't get a certificate that says, all right, you got 15 years of completing these Bible courses, now you go out and get them. No, the reality is this, from the moment of salvation, we have what we need, the Holy Spirit in us, we begin to study God's word, and we can take that out and share that with others. I want you to notice something. How long was Philip with the eunuch giving him guidance? Does anybody know? I'll ask a simple question this way. Does it look like, we don't know for a fact, but does it appear that, the, that Philip was with him more than one day, yes or no? No. Most likely he wasn't. It looks like they were together for a matter of maybe a couple hours or maybe a whole afternoon. I don't know. But what happens at the end of that? After that short amount of time that they are together, look at the ending of it. Down in verse... Uh, 39 says when they come out of the water as soon as the baptism was over with this would be a little bit weird but it happened when they came up out of the water the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more 
And he went on his way rejoicing. It wasn't like, oh, I don't see Philip anymore. Woohoo! No, he's rejoicing because what the Lord has done in his life. I'm not taking away the importance of having someone guide us through Scripture. But what I am saying is, I don't think that the Ethiopian eunuch went home and said, all right, I can't tell anybody about Jesus because Philip left me too soon. What does Jesus say about the one who would guide us? It's the Holy Spirit, right? He's our guide. Don't get me wrong. Discipleship relationships matter. I'm in a D group. I'm in a discipleship group. I'm not leading those two guys in discipleship. All three of us are discipling each other. Guidance is a good thing, but don't think that we can't go out and share the gospel because we have to know X, Y, and Z and all of the other things and be able to quote from the Old Testament before we can do it. The truth of the matter is this. Philip was not there indefinitely with him, but the Spirit was with him. Along the lines of training, though, let me give you one plug for a, an equipping class, and then i got to keep moving. Uh, we are having equipping classes that start next week. There's one that's called Be a Disciple That Makes Disciples. I think that that 12, 13-week course, it's more than a course, but at thir 12, 13 weeks together would give you the ammunition to be able to get the guidance you need to go out and live a life on mission. So if you haven't signed up, the other, groups, the other classes are wonderful, too. If you haven't signed up for one, though, that might be a good one to look at. All right, let me keep moving. Oh, well, let me say this one other thing, and then we'll keep moving. Uh, Irenaeus, or Irenaeus, however you want to say his name, he's an early church father. He was alive in the, early, like in the late 200s, early 300s. And he is quoted as saying that the Ethiopian eunuch became the first missionary to Ethiopia. While we don't know if that's true or not, that's kind of what legend says. I anticipate it to be true. Because he went to Ethiopia, there were no other followers of Jesus that we know of down there, and it would be natural for him to be a missionary. All right, let's look at the third thing. We, we need to be led by the Holy Spirit, or filled by the Holy Spirit. We need to know the Word of God, and we need to step out in obedience. You see, we can't think that we're filled with the Holy Spirit and know the Word, but not complete. We, we, let me back up, sorry. We can't completely be led by the Spirit and know the Word of God unless we're actually obeying it. And so the Philip, Philip and the eunuch both step out in obedience in this whole process. We're going to look real quickly. Look at verse 27. When the angel says it's time for you to go down to the desert place, it says that Philip, in verse 27, rose and went. There's no indication that Philip knew where he was going, what he was doing, or who he would meet. He just simply obeyed. It reminds me of what Abraham did. If you remember back in Genesis and then a recounting of that in Acts chapter 7 verse 3, we see that one day the Lord appears to Abraham and he says, Abraham, come with me and leave your people and go to the land that I will show you. He didn't tell him where that land would be. I'm saying, guys, sometimes the Holy Spirit tells us to do something. Oftentimes he does. We don't know the rest of the details. We just need to step out in obedience. And then verse 30 in chapter 8, it says that Philip ran up to the chariot when the Lord said, go to the chariot. We see that he obeyed. And then he obeys by asking, do you understand what you're reading? And then he gets into the chariot. So that's obeying the Lord, right? And then in verse 35, he obeys the Lord because it says he opened his mouth. And then in verse 36, we see the Ethiopian eunuch obey because he says, see, there's water here. What prevents me from being baptized? And then in verse 38, we see obedience on both parts. They go into the water. He baptizes him. Now, I'm going to say something 
from me and not necessarily from all of the elders, but I think it's true, and that is this. I want you to notice that when Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, he was not an apostle and he was not an elder. He was a follower of Jesus and he did a baptism. The way I understand scripture, look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. The way I understand scripture that is that all believers in Jesus within the context of, of properly vetting people for baptism could qualify to baptize somebody. It doesn't have to be the pastor. It doesn't have to be the elder. It's typically how we do things here, and dads sometimes help, but reality is this. In uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he tells all disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And the way I understand that is he's giving authority to all followers of Jesus for baptism. Now, I'm not saying just find somebody and dunk them in water. I'm saying within the context of vetting people and things like that, within the context of our church uh, setting, we make sure that a person genuinely is trusted in Jesus for salvation, but there's nothing about the holy man that comes in and baptizes. Anyway, a little side note. Hopefully that didn't derail us too far. Look at verse 40. We'll look at the last way that I see obedience happen is that he left there in verse 40 and he began to preach the gospel in all the towns. I'm going to wrap up our time by considering this. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have absolutely no choice but to obey the word of the Lord. Because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not walking in the flesh. It's not like you are like got your arm twisted and you don't want to do it. Yes, you want to do it, but you have no other choice at the same time because the Spirit is leading you. If you want to be used by God, allow the Spirit to work in your life. And as you do that, you'll be used by God and you'll step out in obedience. Along those same lines, when you study and you know God's Word, you have no choice but to obey the Word of God. Look at James chapter 1, verse 22. We see that we're to be not only hearers of the Word, but we're to be doers of the word. So my question is this, are you obeying? Are you living your life on mission for God? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you should be living a life on mission for God. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then you need to realize that the Spirit comes on all who trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and you need to get saved this morning. Do you know the word of God? I want to be careful how I ask that question. Do you know the word of God? I'm not asking have you completed a class as important as our equipping classes are. Do you know the word of God? I'm not asking, did you do your inductive Bible study this morning, as important as Bible study is. Rather, I'm asking that in tandem with the class you've taken or the discipleship group you're part of or the Bible study that you've done this morning, are you applying and living it out? Are you applying what you've learned? I wanna remind us back to what we said at the very beginning that ties all these things together. Being led by the Spirit and knowing the Word of God enables us to be used by God. Are you being used by God today? What do you need to adjust in your life to truly be used by Him? Maybe it's like, I need to stop trying to be in charge. I need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life and call on him to guide me, and I need to be sensitive to his leadership. Maybe it's I need to study God's word more. I need to understand it and highlight my scripture, take notes and apply the things that he's teaching me. I need to take what I'm learning in an equipping class or on a Sunday morning and not just file it away for knowledge and have books and books and books of notes, but rather I'm 
stepping out in faith and obedience. When's the last time that you opened up your Bible and explained the good news to somebody? You're like, Alan, I'm not a seminary professor. You don't have to be. There's a few key verses that if you don't know any others, you could go to those and point them to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've not had that opportunity to do lately, that lately, then maybe pray for that opportunity. Can you imagine the impact that this church will have on our community if we truly become missional as individual fathers of Jesus and ultimately corporately as a church family? For us to live a life on mission, though, our church needs to be made up of people who are like Philip in the sense that we are being led by the Spirit, we're knowing the Word of God, and we're stepping out in obedience, whatever that may be. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And I don't know what step of obedience he's calling you to take today. Maybe, as I said earlier, for some of you, it's saying yes to him for salvation for the very first time in your life. Where you are, are, have, have never trusted in him, and today is the day of salvation. Maybe for others of you, it, it, it's another step of beginning to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, to begin to pray um, for him to lead you, to understand his word. I don't know how God is leading you, but I'm asking you to consider how is he leading you and say yes to him this morning. Just a moment, I know several of our guys were moving, they're grabbing offering plates, they're going to be available here in a minute. And as the, at the end of my prayer, some offering plates are going to be passed. If you came prepared to give towards that, you can. If you filled out your connection card, you can do that. If you put a spiritual decision on your prayer card or whatever, drop that in. I'll be available here at the front as well. If you'd like to come and pray with me, I would love the opportunity to have that uh, prayer time with you. If you want to come and pray at the altar, it's open. But I say it's time for us to say yes to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can know God's word and step out in obedience. Let me lead us in prayer.